Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by uh, by Steph. Uh, Steph, welcome to the show. Thank you for making time for us today. I'm absolutely honoured to be invited. Uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be here and to see you again. Yeah, wonderful to see you too, my friend. So, so listeners, um, we've done a couple of these uh, uh, and the, the conversations with coaches. So um, coaches who are uh, have no lived experience of, of, of adoption, but have, uh, I think, a, a gift for seeing the truth about how kind of life works. And that sounds really grandiose. Um, <clears throat> it just happens to be my belief that that's true, right? So... Um, I, I've known Steph a couple of years. We've had conversations on off, and he's got he's kind of got a real there's a real depth and uh, clarity to what he talks about. So, about six weeks ago, I was thinking about my podcast about and thinking about adoption about five o'clock one morning, and I was thinking about you know this idea that that I had that um, well it was more than an idea; it was a belief really. So it was a belief that came into into my head. Um, that hung around for a bit that had adopted the adoption had um, screwed me up really that that was a that was a, a thought that I had for a while and I hadn't had that before and I, I know where it came from and I, it came from reading the primal wound um, which is a book about this stuff and um, I thought well I had this kind of like it's a bit it sounds really strange to say but the idea that I had was on the back of that well but I'm, I'm not my beliefs. I'm not, you know, we, we are not our beliefs. Our beliefs, we believe them. We believe our beliefs, don't we? We, we think that they're true. We think that they're the truth of that. And I thought, well, who, who could I chat to about that for the podcast? And my first answer was, first guy that popped into my head was Steph. So that's the kind of the background for the conversation, Steph. Um, so what do you make what do you make of all that well I guess the first thing that comes to mind is we talk about before we talk about what beliefs are and, and how we experience them I just wanted to say that um, anything that we talk about in this conversation is not in any way trying to belittle or demean the experience of people that have been through adoption and, and, and any trauma that might have come out of that. The way that we experience life, the way that we have been uh, culturally taught to, to see situations and our place in it and the meaning we make of it is it's, it's innocent, it's natural, it's it's a product of our conditioning, a product of our cultural conditioning. And unless we have 
a deeper understanding of how life works, of how our experience is created and of who we really are, then we are going to suffer from our beliefs, from our experiences in life that, that, that are traumatic for us. Yeah. That's innocent. That's absolutely innocent. innocent. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm clearly a bit gung-ho on all this stuff. So thank you for the softening there that you did. Um, essentially, it's, it's not our fault, right? It, 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 it's, it, we are innocent in this, as you say. And, and that, that means that, um, yeah, uh, I, I had a, because I've been looking at this like you for a, quite a while. Mm. I, I remember having a, an idea, a realisation a few years ago. Um, my, my feelings aren't my fault. Um, and our feelings aren't our behalf, aren't our fault. It, it's not anybody's fault. We're not at fault. We are innocent. And and our beliefs aren't our fault either because we, we have picked them up from the world around us. So the metaphor for this that is often used is the sponge. You know, as kids, we're sponges and we soak up the beliefs yeah. uh, of the people around us. We, we, we soak them up, we, we, we soak them up and, uh, or we inherit the beliefs. So we, you know, I mean, inherit them clearly. So soaking up the beliefs that could be soaking up from the atmosphere, the environment that might be, you know, something at school, mm-hmm. something in the playground, um, something at our, I don't know, our, our sports, sports ground, you know, if we're playing little league uh, baseball in the States or mini soccer in, here in the UK, um, or it might be inherited, as in we inherit stuff from our our parents, our families, and, and friends. So this it, it's what people call, as you say, uh, cultural conditioning or, or programming, and we haven't got the remote control for, for that program. We don't. We, we soak that up from the world around us. So, yeah. Yeah, I, it's a brilliant way of describing it. And, and I, I suppose in my own case, I, I, I wasn't adopted, but I had, um, you know, I had some programming from, I think I went to school from the age of four and uh, try not to make this too long, but it, it was a, it was a, 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 very religious Catholic school. Um, the, the, the other children were older than me, a lot bigger than me. And I was very, very small. And I had a really, really long, unpronounceable second name, Sibihovsky. And I was a prime target. You know, I think, I think kids of that age have a tendency to uh, to pick on the smallest, you know, the most vulnerable of the of the tribe, uh, and I was it. Um, and so I went through a period of time 
before I went to school, I I was, you know, I was a happy, um, I was uh, I was like really outgoing. I, I, I liked people. I, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed life. But when I went to school at the age of four and was on the receiving end of all this negative attention, not just from the other kids, but from the teachers and from, you know, sort of um, family who basically in those days, because it was a very long time ago, would say things like, no, you've got to stiff up a lip, you've got to stand up to it, you've got to fight back. And it didn't feel to me like there was any support. And I began to take on board all that cultural belief that I am vulnerable, I am sensitive, I cry a lot, you know, I, I'm not as good as everybody else. I can't do this and I can't do that. And, and so that experience from the age of four formed a belief and a conditioning that I wasn't good enough, that I would always be behind the curve. And it affected my, you know, my, my academic studies. It, it affected how I showed up at sports day. I became very shy and very insular and very afraid of being seen. Yeah. So the uh, f- first thing that popped into my head was that and I'm showing my age here, um, the guy that, there was a TV show, um, This Is Your Life. You remember that the story? So they'd bring okay. in, they'd surprise a celebrity. Yeah. And, and uh, they'd, um, and they'd say, uh, it, I won't try and do the Irish accent, but they'd say, you know, they'd surprise a celebrity uh, and then the guy, uh, the, the, the host would tell, a, tell, tell the story of his life, bringing in, bringing in all these friends and, and family and all her friends and family. And they had a book, didn't they? That this is your life. And so, um, and they used to say, and uh, the, the people taking the mickey out of them used to say, and of course you were born at an early age. Um, and um, like me, I think you, you were, it was pretty clear that you were a lover, not a fighter. Absolutely. Yeah. You're a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. Um, this uh, this uh, this sensitivity and this uh, vulnerability that we that we have, and this sense of being different, and and not and not fitting in, and the, and and a lot of this stuff, as I have talked to many people, adopted and non-adopted, um, it it starts as kids as when we're bullied. So bullies make it about us. They they find out what's different about us. So in my case, it was in your case, it was your name, your surname, and uh, and you'll notice, uh, listeners, that I didn't try and pronounce it either. I just said hi, Steph. So, 
Um, I know that it's I completely missed that, Simon. Did you? Okay. Uh, I've rumbled myself. <laughs> so um, bullies make it about us. So I got bullied for having, I didn't get bullied about being adopted because people didn't know. Um, I, I, uh, I I got bullied for my name as well, actually. Well, kind of, but it was more to do with, because it was more to do with me having um, buck teeth. So teeth that stood out like so, a bug's bunny and mm. uh, ratty and rodent, rodent boy and all those sorts of like you know, emotional sort of taunts and stuff. And I, 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 I was bullied. I was bullied on scout camp because I didn't drink tea um, because I went to a posher school, you know, any, they make it about us and and the what happens as far as i can tell is or you know as far as i can what from my own experience is the external bully becomes um an internal bully so that's what conditioning is conditioning sounds a bit psychological but yeah the external bully that says that we're not good enough that we don't fit in because we've got buck teeth or because we've got an unpronounceable name or we're not good at sports. Um, uh, that the, the external bully moves into our own head and, uh, and we've, we start to believe belief. Yeah. We believe that we're not good enough. And then from what I can tell is then we kind of like, but we, and we pin a tail, we pin the not te- the not good enough tail on a donkey, and we and and it and it is something. It, it's it's to do with what makes us different. Yeah, I, I I that's completely that feels completely true to me. Um, and I think what we do, you know, in our case, it was bullies that that kind of made that made that particular story look true to us in our head of not being good enough. But I think that what happens is pretty much with every human being is at some point, if it's not a bully, it might be a parent or it might be a teacher or it might be you know, society saying you're you're the wrong colour or, or you're the wrong gender or, or, or whatever. There's, there's something that we take on board as being true about our identity. Even the bullies kind of have that not good enough story going on in their head. And, and one of the reasons they become bullies is, is they're they're playing out some kind of way of trying to feel better about themselves. So to me, what happens is at a certain age, usually at the age we we begin to take on board familial and and cultural um, signals, we create this idea of ourselves. We create this identity, which, you know, in in, in the terms we, we we can call the ego. You know, what we think about ourselves at any given time is just the ego. And the problem with the ego is 
because it's made up of all this psychology, it's made up of all these different influences. Generally, the things that stick are the negative ones, you know. The things that stick are the, the, the I am lacking, I am not good enough, I will never be good enough, I am not lovable. All those things are the things that strike deep into our psyche. And we, what happens is the way, the way that psychology works is when we get eyes for something, you know, like when, when you know, you want to buy a new car and, and you, you don't see any on the road, then all of a sudden you, you've decided I want to buy that car and I went to in red. All of a sudden you find you see so many of those cars. Once you get eyes for something, you it becomes the truth. Yeah. So once we have a belief, it becomes... Um, a narrative, it becomes a script, that, a habit that plays in our head, like a ticker tape. Oh yeah, I know, that's, that's yeah, I'm always like that. I've always been like that. Uh, I, 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 it never works for me. I can't do that. It becomes a habit. It becomes, it's not just a, a one-off thought anymore. It becomes something that, we believe it's something that looks real to us and because it plays constantly in the background we begin to live life from that point of view we begin to live life through that lens of not good enough so for me you know when i when I, I I was bullied at primary school, I was bullied at senior school. I was <laughs> such a willing victim, you know, and and then, but it didn't, you know. I when I went to to college and when I went to work, I still saw myself and my life through the lens of not good enough, through that script that kept playing on in my head through the cultural conditioning, through the brainwashing that I'd had. Yeah. That I'd, that I had, you know, sort of willingly bought into and kept repeating. Willingly, but innocently. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because we don't know anything better, do we? We don't know how... We don't know how our mind works. No. So the conditioning, um, and you've used all these different metaphors, because it's hard to grasp this. It's hard to grasp this stuff, listeners. So that's, we're kind of like, who was it? Was it? So I met Steph through a, 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 a mutual mentor called Michael Neal. Was it, was it Michael that talked about the... Um, putting metaphors being like putting um, bandages on the invisible man. Yeah. So the invisible man, you can't see him because he's invisible. That's the whole point. It, it, it would be, it'd be a really terrible 
Invisible Man if he was visible. Um, so what we're doing here is we're taking stuff that is invisible and it's also hard to grasp, right? It's hard to get our heads around stuff because we can't see it. We're talking about ephemeral sound, you know, ephemeral sounding concepts. And what we're doing is, what Steph's doing is, because of his gift, is, 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 giving, is, is giving you different metaphors. And, and because that is like putting clothes on the invisible man or a bandage on the invisible man. So in, 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 the, in the film, you, you know, when he put his suit on, he was quite a slick dude, one in his 70s kind of suit and a shirt and tie. And then, uh, he, but he couldn't, obviously, he, he couldn't cover his face with um, a balaclava or would people think he was going to do a bank job. So he, he, he wrapped his head in... Um, in uh, in bandages and he was in his the story was that is uh, that he's recovering from a, a from bad burns or an accident and and the so what metaphors do are they put the clothes on the invisible man they they take what is invisible and make it visible and the the idea um a metaphor that came to my mind last week was in in the kind of the, a, a metaphor for the the trauma of uh, of being adopted, or any sort of trauma, was an avalanche. So it starts small. An avalanche starts small. It, it's just a, a, a one little tiny piece of uh, piece of um, snow, um, and it, it 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 gets bigger. It's it snowballs, and then it starts to pick up other stuff, everything in its wake. So it picks up rocks, it picks up trees, small bushes and trees, and it gets more and more powerful. And, and for me, that's what these beliefs do. And this is, that's what this conditioning does. Um, and so it gets worse because what the, what the people say, what the thinker thinks, the prover proves. So, the mind is like a meaning-making machine and it's and it's looking for more and more evidence. All oh, right, well, that's because I'm adopted. That's because I'm adopted. That's because I'm adopted. Uh, and and I, I think about that myself and, and how, um, uh, like an emotional moment, I'm kind of a bit embarrassed to say this, but I, I was 13 and I got dropped. I was in the rugby club, a rugby team for four or five years. And then um, it got to the the new rugby season, and and I was I was dropped from the team. And I remember 13, 12, 13, and I was crying. I was, I wasn't bawling my eyes out, but I turned away. I didn't want anybody to see the mm. the tears of being um, no longer good enough to be in the team, being rejected, uh, and you could say, well. That's an adoption thing, Simon. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. But if you're if you're in if if once this once this avalanche, once this avalanche of conditioning and beliefs start gathering pace, it's 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 unstoppable. It becomes an unstoppable force. And and I was thinking about that, and I and I and I, and I thought, well, where's the hope in that? Where's the hope in that metaphor, Simon? Um, and then I remembered something 
that I saw in a in a in a queue for a ski lift uh, a few years ago. So there were some guys in the queue. Uh, I think they were Austrian Germans. I'm not sure, which it doesn't really matter. But one of them had this avalanche rucksack on. So what happens with this avalanche rucksack is you you it looks like a normal rucksack, but it's got a logo on it. I can't remember what the logo is. You you if if you are about to be engulfed by the avalanche, you you pull the cord and it sets off a little dynamite charge, and 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 you are basically ensconced in a big round inflatable ball. So if you a bit like an airbag. Mm. So when an airbag goes off in the car, it goes off and it, it goes off and it deflates straight away. Um, and that and, and that and stops you hitting your head on the windscreen or whatever it is. And it and it cushions the blow. And that's what this that's what this avalanche rucksack did. And I thought that's what we're doing. Exactly. That's what we're doing on the podcast today. We're giving you uh, an insight uh, that 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 is the first kind of cushioning against this avalanche of trauma that's that's that that's been um running for you yeah. and it runs for all of us yeah. this is ad, ad, adoptees do not have the monopolies on avalanches brilliant absolutely brilliant i love that i love that because it sticks, it sticks. The reason I, the avalanche thing popped into my head is it sticks, doesn't it? The yeah. snow sticks to us. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah, it yeah. sticks to us. Sorry, I interrupted. Well, no, no, I, it was yeah. yeah it, so, so for me, I I kind of grew up with this idea that. I wasn't good enough, I had low self-esteem and there was no way out, it was just who I was. And it carried into my, you know, sort of relationships and, you know, when when my marriage broke down, that was because I wasn't, you know, because I wasn't good enough. That was, I entirely took the whole, you know, the whole blame on myself because of the way that I saw myself. And life took on a very dark turn. And you know, there were a lot of things that happened around that time that, that my whole life kind of seemed to fall apart. And at some point, you know, the, the, the Michael Neal, the guy you were talking about earlier, when I, I, I first came across Michael's books, after having like very um a very dark period where there was some you know some suicidal ideation you know i didn't want to to carry on i couldn't see how life could be could get any any better you know it just looked like life was 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 going to get worse and worse it was this big black hole and then I came across a book by Michael Neal called The Inside Out Revolution. It talked about the, 
the teachings of a guy called Sidney Banks. And basically, what Sidney Banks saw was that our experience of life, a hundred percent of our experience of life is being created through our thought in the moment. So anything that we think that looks true to us in any moment is what we feel. And, <laughs> and then, if what we feel in the moment looks true to us, that's what we believe. Another day or two might pass and that thought may no longer be there. We may no longer be in the state of mind that created that thought. And then life that we experience in that moment can be different. So what I saw was that in the times that I was depressed and I, I, I saw that I was not good enough and that life wouldn't get any better, I felt like committing suicide. In, a, in an hour's time, in a, a day's time, I could be thinking something completely different and life would feel okay. It's not like, oh, I am this person and this is the situation in my life. This is how I have to feel all the time. I saw that my feelings, my state of mind, my, my emotions changed from minute to minute hour to hour, day to day, they weren't the same. They were transient. Yeah. They came and went. But the situation was the same. You know, I was still, I was still divorced from my wife. I was still a single parent. I was still having to take care of, of, of my dying father. All the things that were the circumstances around that time in my life that I was depressed about, I went through, I had different experiences of it. So I began to see that my beliefs, my conditioning, that habitual script that I had about me not being good enough, about me having low self-esteem, about me not being very bright, I saw, I just began to see a glimmer that, oh, Maybe that's not true. Maybe that belief that I have of myself is coming from 
a, a conditioning that, that goes back to when I was four, you know? There's just been, but it's not, in itself, it's not true because I'm not always depressed. I'm not always thinking about how rubbish I am. I used to have this, right, this, this shows you how insane this was. I used to have this thing about being really shy and being really scared, uh, being in a party and I didn't want to be seen. But at the same time, I, I, I'd been a musician since I was 12 and I would, I was a professional musician. I would go out on stage and sometimes I would be the only person on stage with hundreds and thousands of people watching me. I didn't, I didn't have that feeling then. I wasn't shy then. It kind of dawned on me that that belief that I had about myself was not true. The thinking that we have about ourselves, every single human being, is not true. It's, it's something that we're brought in, we've brought into. And it's something that, that changes from moment to moment. So going back to Sid, so Sid's no longer with us, listeners, unfortunately. He, he died a while ago. Um, the interesting, well, one of the interesting things about Sid is Sid was adopted. Sidney Banks was adopted. He never spoke into anything about adoption. Um, and I don't know how I picked up, but I, I also thought, I thought it was really strange because he's, I don't know what his middle name was, or if he, even if he had a middle name, um, but it's got the same initials as me, Sidney Banks and Simon Penn. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So um, he, the, 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 uh, you, you heard, you've heard the story about how uh, the, the question from a, uh, from a psychologist that, that, that um, was the catalyst for, for, for Sid seeing this. Do you want to share that with the listeners? Sure. So in, in, Sid's, in Sid's early days when his marriage, when he was having challenges in his marriage, I think this was like the early 70s, so him and his wife were, were going through some challenges and the, 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 the fashion at the time was to go for these, these group therapy sessions where people would uh, they were they would be encouraged to shout at each other <laughs> to do all sorts of stuff that we look back on now and think well, that, that's not really helpful is it <laughs> and, and so one day he kind of got a bit fed up of shouting at his wife and um and and he was he was known he he had this idea of himself as being insecure Insecurity was his big thing. He was insecure about everything. So he went out for a walk one day with this psychologist friend of his. And Sid said something like, 
I, I just, you know, I, I am just insecure about everything. It's, 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 it's the worst thing about my life. I really, really see myself as insecure. And this psychologist said to Sid, quite innocently, you know, said, you're not insecure, Sid. You just think you are. Now, Sid saw that on a way deeper level than the psychologist had said it. You know, the psychologist had said it in, in, in quite a pass away, you know, sort of passing kind of way of, of trying to describe what he saw. But what Sid saw, it stopped him. And he then had a period of time where basically he began to see how insecurity is thought, how depression is thought about every single part of the human condition is created by thought. And how powerful the, the principle of thought is because it can create our whole reality. Whatever we are thinking in any moment that looks real to us, we feel. And he, he described thought as the missing link, didn't he? That's one of his books, Thought is the Missing Link. Yeah. And, and the way I see this in adoption in the world of adoption and, and my experience, right? Just my experience is that um, the, I, I was adopted 55 years ago. Okay. My uh, level of security has been up and down in, in that, in, 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 uh, in, in those 55 years. Yeah. So it, it can't be, the adoption itself because the the adoption is a, a fixed or you know you could say well it's to well Simon it's to do with being relinquished it's nothing about you know your mum and dad it's about being relinquished by your birth mother right so you can, I, when I say adoption I'm talking about I'm rolling relinquishment into adoption um, dear listeners so my my level of insecurity has been up and down all over the all over the shop, I almost swore then, um, all over the shop in 55 years, right? So that, it has varied. Um, uh, but adoption is something, it, it was a fixed event in the past. So a fixed event in the past cannot be the cause of a variable experience of insecurity a, a fixed thing can't cause a variable thing a past thing can't cause a current thing there must be and there must be something else at play there must be another factor there must be a missing link and that missing link is as Sid said is 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 is, is that right is it is he describes it thought as the missing link is that right i remember it yeah. it's a long time since i read the book absolutely yeah yeah 
So thought is thought is the missing link. And what we are not advocating here is to think positive, if if you ever like, because we've all tried that. You know, the the world, the the internet world is 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 full of people telling us that if we change our thoughts, then we will change our uh, reality. And therefore, we should just think positive. Essentially, that's it, you know. And then, you know, you the only, what do people say? Um, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Um, you know, if we, if, if we uh, you know, the, the, what do they call it? The, um, the secret, you know, um, if you, if you're if if you're not getting wanting what you want in in your life, then you need to manifest it by thinking good thoughts. We're not talking about any of that, are we? No, no. So the way it looks to me is that what really what really saved me was seeing that I wasn't my thoughts I wasn't who I believed to be so if I'm not my thoughts who am I and what I found was when I looked in that direction who who are we really what happens when I've got a snow globe here it's kind of a so what happens is we have our... He's got a butter in, in the snow globe. Snow globe. It's like goldy flats. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, the noise of our thinking. That's how we live most of our life in this, you know, information-driven age. We have lots and lots of thinking, and we're thinking about stuff all the time. That's not how we're designed. When we understand that we are not the thoughts that we believe, we are not the beliefs, then what happens is the snow settles, our thinking settles, our mind slows down. When our mind slows down and our thinking settles, life looks different. When our thinking settles and our mind slows down, we begin to get clarity. We begin to see things from a different perspective. You know, it's like, it's like being able to see the wood for the trees. We're not lost in this noise of, and ticker tape of, of, of habitual thinking and current thinking when our mind is allowed to settle when it's allowed to slow down when we recognize what we're doing to ourselves when we're gripped you know it's like i'm hitting myself okay that doesn't make any sense let's stop let's stop hitting myself let's let's just take a step back then what happens is, and it's like, it's exactly what you were talking about with the, you know, with the, um, with the snowball and, and the bubble. The way it looks to me is like we get some bubble wrap. 
that gives us some distance between us and our thinking. When we see that it's not it's not who we are, when we see that it's not real, when we, when we see that these uncomfortable feelings we're having are not saying anything about what's happening in the world, it's just saying what's happening in our head, then we can use, we can, we can take that step back, which allows the mind to settle. When we can see that we aren't what we're thinking, when we can see that the thinking comes and goes, then it becomes, it makes more sense to have a relationship with what doesn't come and go. What doesn't come and go is a deeper part of us that's underneath the thinking. The deeper part of us that is where feelings of love and compassion and inspiration and joy, they're not from the intellect, they're from who we are before our thinking. That's clarity comes from that space. And that, that part of us, that deeper part of us, doesn't come and go. Any, all things intellectual, sometimes they can be useful, but it all comes and goes. What doesn't come and go is that part of us that is, is beyond, beyond the intellect. That part of us is responsive that part of us is the part of us that, that finds answers to questions. It's the part of us that can, can, can find solutions. It's the part of us that allows us to navigate our life in a much more graceful way. Not to say we don't, we don't get caught up in the intellect, that's human, we do that. But there's something for me about knowing that there is a deeper part of us that does not come and go. No matter how much we shake our snow globe, there is a part of us that cannot be touched, cannot be destroyed, cannot be changed. 
And that part of us, that space is all we have to do to, to touch that space is to take a step back. Beautiful. And we experience this, right? We, 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 we get a glimpses of it. Um, so the, as you were talking, I, I was thinking about um, a time on holiday about, I don't know, 20 years ago. And I think we've been a, it'd been a hectic day, you know, like maybe I'd been at work in the morning or trying to do stuff. And then, so it was a late, uh, late afternoon flight and, and we walked into, uh, you know, we'd arrived at the, uh, the flat and we'd walked through this, the little winding back streets of this Greek uh, village and, and come into the square um, where we used to go to this restaurant and, um, what taverna thing it and it was it really it um, and as i as i sat down i felt the 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 weight of my thinking lifting off my shoulders so it, it's that and i was engulfed in peace it didn't last very long but i was engulfed in peace so this is this is something that we all you know it, it happens to all of us you know a, 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 a something takes our breath away um we stop for a rest when we're walking the dog or it you know like it, it happens to us or we're listening to, we're, we're lost in music in the car in a in a, in a, on a on a on the route to work or whatever, we we touch that peace. We have that fleeting moment of peace and then it's gone. But all we want in our life is peace and contentment and that sort of happiness. And that's who we are and that's what we touch. But we only touch it fleetingly and we don't know that that is us because nobody's ever told us it's, it's not in the uh it's not in the how to do life book is it well it, it wasn't in my uh uh it was definitely wasn't on my degree course you know no. it was uh, organizational sociology industrial psychology and economic and social history it wasn't in my o levels you know it, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't covered it wasn't no. covered um we don't nobody tells us the really important stuff but like you say everybody has had an experience of it we kind of our day-to-day -day life is going through a, a a continuum and you can call it state of mind you know you can say okay we Further, further up, the, the, the faster our mind is going, we're trying to figure stuff out, we're trying to work stuff out, we're thinking, we're ruminating, and then at some point, you know, the continuum will go down and we will slow down a little bit. And then, you know, at some point it'll go back up again, at some point it'll go down a little bit further, and then there'll be a nice feeling. That's what Sid used to call it. He said it's it's... 
it always comes with a good feeling. And that's, you know, I think we all use the word feeling differently. But I think we all, you know, we don't, we might not necessarily feel deep peace and complete clarity all the time, but but there are there are times when we we're just in a good feeling for no reason at all. That's because we're on that part of the continuum, if you like. So so for me, what made the biggest difference to my life was a knowing that I wasn't who I thought I was, how I believed something that was created. It was something that wasn't true and I'd bought into. And the other thing was knowing that if I wasn't that thinking, when I wasn't in that thinking, I was in this incredibly uh, resourceful, clear state. Things made sense to me. You know, the, it, the, there, there was answers came easily and, and I felt compassionate. I felt kind. I felt loving to, to my fellow man. That, knowing that, is there underneath underneath the noise made all the difference to me changed my life it allowed me to to see miracles where yeah i hadn't seen them before it allowed me to have a much deeper experience of life a richer experience of life it allowed me to have my feelings, but not, not suffer from them. I could feel pain, but I didn't suffer quite so much. Yeah. Beautiful. So listeners, as always, if you want to check out the extra special guests that we have on the show, then always check out the show notes and I'll put a link to Steph's, um, Steph's socials. Uh, on on there and thank you for sharing a bit of um, peace with us and giving us a glimpse of this stuff uh, this afternoon stuff it's been been beautiful bless you simon i, I just i'm so honored that, that you uh that you kind of invited me to be here today i just love spending time with you cheers buddy thanks again speak soon <laughs>